This is episode 174 of the Relate Podcast on using technology to fuel empathy with Dr. Grin Lord. We are spending more and more time in the online world, looking through our screens and increasingly disconnected with those around us. But studies have proven that it's real-life meaningful relationships that bring us the most joy and happiness. It's all about human connection and conversing with people from a variety of backgrounds. Worlds change when eyes meet. So let's sit down and relate. I am your host, Patrick McAndrew, and welcome to another episode of the Relate Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me where we are learning about the importance of relationships in the technological age. Today, we are talking with a woman by the name of Dr. Grin Lord. Dr. Grin Lord is a board-certified licensed clinical psychologist and co-founder of Empathic, which is humanizing AI with empathy. Her areas of expertise include conversational design, using AI and machine learning to augment human connection and improve therapy, evidence-based therapies, health coaching, and psychology. Grin's research and writing focuses on the intersection of AI and empathy, improving wellness, understanding evidence-based therapy, treatment of post-traumatic stress and substance abuse, the interpretation of family, and the social meaning of trauma. And there is a lot that we unpack in this episode with Grin. We talk about the importance of listening when it comes to creating empathic connections and conversations. We discuss how empathy is in fact something that is very difficult to teach, that it's a very difficult skill to teach to a variety of different types of people. We discuss how culture affects communication. What if we were prompted to reflect in our social media interactions. And we also discuss the benefits that come with using technology to fuel empathy. If you like this episode, head over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a review. I would really appreciate it. You are in for a great one today. So without further ado, let me please introduce today's guest of Relate, Dr. Grin Lord. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Relate Podcast. Today, we have a very special guest joining us. Her name is Dr. Grin Lord. Grin, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thank you. I'm very excited to have you here. You're doing some incredible work in the tech space, especially in talking about uh, empathy, artificial intelligence, how those things relate to one another. You, you also have a, a clinical background as well. So I'm very excited to have you on the show today and kind of dive into your perspective on all of these matters. As, as you know, we talk a lot about uh, how technology impacts our ways of being, our relationships with one another on this show. So it'll be great to, to broadcast your perspective. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Um... As you said, I am a clinical psychologist 
by training and research scientist, so I've been studying the words that shape human behavior, and particularly around empathy, for about 15 years. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, and so I'm wondering to start off uh, for our listeners who may not be familiar with you and your work. I'm wondering mm -hmm. if you could uh, elaborate that on a, a little bit more and, and really like what brought you into the world of technology and artificial intelligence. Yes, that is a good question. There are not too many of us therapists and psychologists that have made the crossover into tech. Um, and I'm trying to change that now, which I can talk about a little bit later. But so originally uh, I was working at Harborview Medical Center, which is a level one trauma center here in Seattle. I started out as a research uh, therapist and some of the work that was being done at Harborview was looking at empathic listening. And we did a, a randomized control trial at that hospital that showed that very brief conversations about empathy, even 15 minutes, with patients that were coming into the hospital after drunk driving accidents or had a positive blood alcohol level, uh, led to significant drops in their drinking. And so that's compared wow. to treatment as usual, where there would be nurses telling them, like, you need to go to this AA meeting, and um, here's all the resources, whatever. So we would do this 15 minutes of listening. It had this significant drop in uh, substance abuse. It led to a 48% drop in hospital readmissions and ended up saving our, our hospital millions of dollars because of the fact that folks weren't coming in again and again with you know, accidents related to that. Uh, when scaled at a national level, it actually, actually saves around $2 billion for uh, level one trauma centers nationally. So it's a- wow. That was like one of my introductions into the field was learning that listening with empathy um, makes a big difference. And I'll, I'll get to how it gets to tech uh, shortly. But basically what we tried to do was train everyone in these methods of listening, following particular guidelines, uh, therapeutic guidelines. And we would lead workshops for medical residents, um, therapists, psychologists. There was actually a whole service created at the hospital designed to do this. And surprise, surprise, we found that Teaching people in a workshop about empathy doesn't work. You can't watch a PowerPoint and learn how to be an empathic listener. You know, I, I realize that's somewhat controversial because there are people that make their whole careers on teaching in workshops. But the parts of those workshops that do work are the coaching related aspects when you're actually role playing, getting feedback live from a coach. It's just not scalable to train in that way, though. You know, you only have one. Um, teacher per workshop? Can they listen to everyone? Are they giving in the moment feedback? No. So that was what I experienced anecdotally, but we actually ended up doing research and several folks did actually around the world that found that, yeah, we can't train in this method using workshops. So uh, out of that came some research where we were looking at, can we audio record a session of therapy or a conversation and give an automated um, feedback report that's kind of like having a coach, uh, where it would actually like analyze your speech, give you the exact things that you need to change, give you a rating of empathy. Basically, can we take the coach and put it in the computer? So I worked for 10 years on a research project uh, in combination with University of Washington, USC, uh, University of Utah, and, and UC Irvine was um, a part of it in the beginning as well. 
And we did do that. We were able to automate the uh, coding of fidelity and the coaching of these therapists using an audio recording. And so that was, you know, how I got essentially crossed over into AI and machine learning was that I was training the teams to identify the key ingredients in listening and to train a machine learning model or artificial intelligence model. It's kind of like a baby, like you have to train it on something <laughs> and then it recognizes that pattern. And so if you put in all of the best statements of empathy into these models, it can then recognize that in future um, exposures to different audio material or text, whatever. So my job was to train the models by teaching teams of people to identify these elements of empathy. And, and we did like, you know, 10,000 hours of uh, coding, something like that, uh, to get wow. our to be able oh to do gosh. that. So it's not as simple as like turning on a computer and telling it a couple rules. Like humans actually have to define these constructs around compassion, collaboration, empathy. Real humans have to do that work and listen to other humans before it can train a machine. So I'll, I'll pause there if you have any questions about that, because I can just keep going. But but that's essentially how I got into it. Yeah, I mean, that's incredible. I think that you're absolutely right. It's been kind of this process that I've kind of figured out in my career as well is what is the best way to educate people on empathy, on on listening skills, on conversation, communication skills? And I'm really fascinated by this element of using technology to do so. There's this humanization of artificial intelligence in a way. And I know that nowadays in the tech industry, there's a lot of conversation around that. Given your expertise, is it possible to humanize artificial intelligence in a way that is going to be able to teach people how to empathize with one another? That's that's a tough question. I guess I'll I'll respond to it by talking about what we learned after we did this first initial trial of giving people like their feedback. We found out that reports actually aren't that useful in shaping human behavior. It didn't end up doing the thing we hoped it would do in scaling the coach. So my newest venture in the company that I founded, Empathy Rocks, actually created automated training games because what we found is that people need drills. They can't just have a conversation and get a report. Like it's certainly helpful, but that report needs to be reviewed with a human supervisor. And if you don't review your report, then it just sits there. Like what's it doing? So I created these kind of dynamic games to train people in the basic building blocks of empathy. And another uh, part of what I'm doing with that work is as therapists are playing those games or people are playing those games and learning empathy, they're helping me to build an empathy engine that can automatically correct speech and text uh, and give corrections to help humans become more empathic in their emails, texts, things like that. That same engine can be used to train machines. So like wow. we could our empathy engine and basically, um, you know, run it, let's just say like a chatbot script or um, some synthetic voice scripts, things like that, that would be used in robotics and give it corrections to make it more empathic. And we're even experimenting right now with using some uh, really powerful AI uh, products like GPT-2 and GPT-3 and actually trying to train them in human empathy because they're not great at that like they were trained on the entire internet you know like 
journal articles, um, forums, things like that, a lot of the internet is not empathic. So we have this really cool data set that we've derived from our empathy training games that we're using to train other machines to become empathic. Wow. And we're hoping to scale that to other like SaaS platforms. But I don't think that's exactly the answer to your question. That's like where, where I'm trying to go with this. You know, human empathy is a really complicated construct. So yes, I am able to train a machine in specific skills around like listening and asking questions and not providing advice. And all of those parts don't necessarily make the whole. One thing I found in some of my early research at University of Washington was that actually this is with humans, that well-trained humans that know all of the skills involved in empathy aren't necessarily perceived as empathic if they're not synchronizing with the person they're talking to. Uh, and we looked at synchrony in a number of different ways. Um, the study that I did looked at actually the way that people phrase things. So like the placement of adverbs that empathic people will unconsciously start to match their speech to each other in those ways. Uh, and that that actually predicts ratings of empathy, like objective raters looking at a conversation saying, is this empathic? that predicts ratings of empathy more so than uh, the skills that people are trained in. So you could have someone that's essentially untrained, but that's highly perceptive and that starts to match and synchronize with another person that will be rated as more empathic than the, the therapist that's gone to you know school. Wow. So, so some of the research is telling me that like, yeah, I can train a machine in some skills, but I also need to start training it in things like synchrony, uh, which we can now do with AI and we're not there yet. And, and there's some other research also about average vocal tone and things like entrainment where folks start to slowly as they're talking together, if there's more empathy, they start to match the same average vocal tone. Non-empathic people don't do that. So this is a challenge for humans as well, like <laughs> empathy in general. Yeah. Uh, so when you say can you train a machine in it? It's like, well, we had a lot of difficulty training humans in it. Uh, not everyone can do that, but we know what the components are. We know what the gestalt is of what you need to do in total. And we're kind of just starting with the building blocks. This is, it's so fascinating. I'm, I'm very interested in, in machine learning and just like the capacity for artificial intelligence, what it could do over time. A lot of what we talk about on this podcast is about how technology impacts our relationships, both for better and for worse. A lot of times yeah. people who are on the show and then even some of my own episodes will discuss how because everyone's always in their technology on their devices, sometimes that's where their attention is at when they're out and about with friends and family. And there's that lack of opportunity to have a deep and meaningful conversation because technology is present. But I think there is opportunities for technology to make us more empathetic or for artificial intelligence to improve our human connection. I'm wondering, given all of the research that you've done, what are some insights that you may be able to provide for us that perhaps hint at the fact that, oh, actually, artificial intelligence may actually help improve our relationships? Mm. Yeah. Oh, this is a great question. It kind of connects to what I was saying before about empathy is hard for humans. There are rules that you can follow to be more empathic. 
we train therapists in some of these rules. They are actually quite hard to do in conversation. And AI-assisted prompts for humans, uh, like for example, if in our Zoom meeting we had in the live transcript some corrections or prompts to tell us like, oh, here's a way to be more empathic. Or if you were um, a therapist, you know, let's say on like talk space, text-based chat, and you know, you had some algorithm telling you, okay, like here's a suggestion. I see that as the most, potential for technology like this, like with the corrections or prompts, not a replacement for humans, but to tell them how to follow these rules because it's super hard. So I'll I'll like paint a a picture for you. You know, if you have a friend that's coming to you desperately for advice and is saying like, look, I'm in this really tough situation and I need help, like, please uh, tell me what to do. The most empathic thing in that moment isn't actually to tell them what to do. Um, it's to be like, so it sounds like you're, you're really needing help and you're feeling less like what's been going on. Tell me about like ask these open-ended questions, reflect what you're hearing. It's really hard as humans to do that. You're like, oh, you need help? Well, here's what I did and like here's my life story or here's like 20 tips that, you know, these are things that doctors are trained to do a lot of times. Um, and we know those are rated as lower with empathy and compassion than the person that actually evokes from within uh, the person they're listening to their own solutions to the problem and like under tries to understand what they're grappling with, um, what, uh, you know, they've tried before and what would be the most helpful to them before jumping in. It's, it's hard for people to do that. So this is part of why I think there is encouraging, uh, possibilities with AI to prompt humans to like do these things that many people weren't socialized to do. Obviously that's cultural too. So um, another advantage with AI is that it can help, like let's take a global team, like what's empathic in one country is not necessarily the same as another. But if you're hiring a team from one to come work at another, it would be really helpful for them to have some empathy prompts, like, you know, beyond grammarly, uh, telling them like, these are the right words to use. It's like, yeah, it could be grammatically correct and totally not appropriate. And the intent is lost, right? Like, so those teams may be coming across as like, oh, I don't want to work with those teams. They're so direct and like aggressive. And it's like, they may not realize that what is super helpful in their culture is not being perceived the same way. So with AI, we can kind of titrate some of these things culturally, understand what works in in both directions. What I have in our technology now is very much based on like US uh, forms of empathy and like what we see in therapy and research, but like we can expand that. And and that's part of our mission around reducing AI bias is getting a really robust um, training set that has different cultures, communities, genders, races, et cetera, um, contributing to rating what is empathic. I love this so much. I think you bring up a really good point about the different cultures in the world and and what is appropriate versus, you know, inappropriate based on empathy and how we communicate with one another. I think especially in that medium, there's a lot of opportunity for technology and, and as you were saying, artificial intelligence to really make a, a big difference in how people can connect with one another and build relationships with one another and kind of find those areas of commonality. I'm wondering, based off of that amazing information and those possibilities, how do you think that we could 
soak in the positives that technology offers while mitigating the potential negatives. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think of things like social media and applications of AI empathy in that sphere could have really been helpful in the last, you know, yeah. four to eight years, whatever. Yeah, they're, the formats of some technology actually seems to optimize for and reinforce non-empathic conversations. And we know like from principles of social psychology that things like being anonymous or groupthink like allows for really non-empathic uh, bullying, hate speech, things like that. We see it in technology and on the internet. And like, it's time for us to start to take some responsibility for that and go beyond censorship and saying like, okay, don't talk or don't use social media. It's like, well, we can. And like, what if people were prompted to reflect? And you see this, like Twitter just came out with a, a little bot that asks them to like, are you sure you want to um, be a jerk right now? Like basically, yeah, like, do you, yeah. do you really do this? But it doesn't tell them what to do or how to do it, but it kind of detects like something's going wrong here. And so I see possibilities for us engaging more with technology in ways that are less harmful and can develop more harmony. And it even being used as a tool to educate in real life social relationships but but i totally agree with you that like a lot i mean this is a little bit of a tangent but there are a lot of psychologists and behavioral um uh economists and um people working in growth um economics with behavioral backgrounds where they're using reinforcement principles and things like that to gamify and addict folks to social media and it's like we could be using our skills as psychologists and behaviorists for good like we could be using those same principles to help train people and how to be more open-minded and compassionate um so i see my project as a little bit subversive like it's using the same tools but like for a different means and end and i hope it could train people to have real life conversations and open their minds to meaningful conversations on social media platforms um, in ways that our current technology doesn't allow for. So I guess it's just like, are we confusing the means of delivery of the social interaction, you know, via technology with, you know, the, the actual aims or, or goals of that technology. And I think if we were to just shift a little bit and aim and focus less towards profits and growth and more towards like, well, could we make this meaningful? Could we have a little bit of a moral core in some of our work? I think we could do amazing things. And you see that. I mean, that's a trend right now. Like you're seeing AI ethicists boards come up. Those have been fraught in the some, some uh, companies and circles like already. And right. I'm seeing it in the, in the government too. Like people are, are now trying to get ethical AI boards developed and bring in experts to be like, okay, how do we handle technology? How do we use AI? Yeah. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm curious just to see how things are going to unfold. I feel like, especially in the coming years, because you're right, there is definitely more of a conversation around this now about AI ethics, tech ethics, and how that plays into governing how we use technology as well. And then balancing that with like freedom of speech and and you know the like. I'm wondering how has this rippled into your work 
as a clinical psychologist and and with like therapy and uh, so you know we were talking a lot specifically about technology artificial intelligence a bit about machine learning but i guess in a broader sense have have these topics uh, has technology affected clinical psychology on a on a grander scale yes i mean there's so many ways i could answer that question but yes i mean certainly with the pandemic we've seen a boom in telehealth and in digital mental health apps. And there's a couple of articles I can point you to from therapists being like, is this good or bad? Like, are we losing the private practice therapist? Are we losing the in face-to-face therapy hour? Or are we simply scaling access and getting um, more folks that had no access to therapy access to some? And of course, I think the answer is, is that both are occurring. The other things we're seeing with technology, which we've always seen, like, this isn't new, you know, it's obviously with children, it's uh, a real challenge for parents to understand how to train their children in the newest technologies, use them appropriately, not get preyed upon, um, you know, by uh, people that are, you know, ill-willed on the internet. So it's, that has been an ongoing conversation as well as things around like body image, identity, you know, the, Facetune filter effect, stuff like that. So I think these are constantly topics in uh, psychology that therapists are reckoning with and, and dealing with in multiple ways. That's a, it's a big uh, topic of conversation. And here in Seattle, actually, we, I'm going to blank on the name right now, but we have a um, technology addiction center. Uh, it was like the first in the nation here in oh, Fall City. Oh, that's right. That's right. Uh, yeah, I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but I, I recall this. Yes. Yes. So, um, and there's more of these coming, but like we had the first one of, uh, you know, like camps for children that are all about reducing addiction to technology and re-socializing them, um, in different ways, not using technology, but also for adults. And those camps are run very similar to uh, other recovery centers and use the same kind of principles around addiction. So, and that, that place has been there for, you know, many years, like beyond, it's not very contemporary in some ways. We have Amazon, Microsoft here. We've got a lot of tech folks in Seattle. So we're very much, the psychologists that are here, I'd say are very close to the good and the bad of tech in all forms, (laughs) you know, using it, uh, being employed by these companies like it's it's all here so yeah it's you know I, I think it's always kind of this evolving question trying to figure out that balance you know like fa- trying to figure out that balance of like okay how can we implement technology in our lives for better while also still maintaining a good level of uh, communication listening empathy and I'm very interested in your work because in a lot of ways you you kind of bring the technology into the skill sets that are required for empathy, communication, and listening. And so it's, yeah, it's interesting to hear the, the perspective on that side of things as well. Yeah, I mean, I like I said, I think technology can be used for good and in social ways, um, but it does require a crossover um, and a non-siloing of disciplines. You know, therapists need to be in technology, clinicians need to be there, 
I mentioned this earlier that I was involved in this. I've started a collective called Therapists in Tech, which is designed to bring together um, therapists, researchers, coaches, folks that are on the forefront of tech and working in these ways to start to have the conversations around ethics, guidelines, even just connecting together around like, what job are you doing in tech? Because a lot of tech companies don't even know how to write a job description for someone like us or know that they need a clinician, which blows my mind. But there, if you look at many of the behavioral solutions and apps out there and look at their founding team and CEOs, there aren't many therapists in these therapy-based apps. So wow, that obviously- our community has created interest in like, how do we get into this space? Like, and we need to like train startups um, and other tech companies how to write job descriptions for psychologists and understand where they can fit in. You know, I was lucky to cross over into AI and ML and NLP in my research career and people see the role for me in you know, doing these types of, um, you know, Grammarly for empathy type corrections. Uh, but someone else could have come up with that idea and just been like, okay, I've done some research and uh, like, these are good things to say. And I'm using performance-based executive coaching. You know, it's really different than having spent your entire life understanding like human communication, what we can bring to the table and how powerful that can be. And I, and I think right now uh, there's a lot of folks that are interested to get into tech and start to do some of that translational knowledge. It's it's happening at a really rapid pace that folks are leaving academia and saying like, look, I can make a difference on a really large scale with huge data sets, lots of people. Like the reach here is now an in industry, not so much in the ivory tower. Right. Uh, I'm like trying to get out of that. It's very exciting. It's very exciting. I'm. Uh, and it's exciting to have people like yourself who are really doing the work on, on these types of issues. And so, Grin, I, I cannot thank you enough for joining us on the Relate podcast today and for not only taking the time, but in the work that you're doing as well. I think that this type of work is so important right now. And it's only going to become more and more important as technology continues to advance and as things kind of get a little more complicated and we're trying to figure out, okay, how can we use this technology to our advantage to really connect deeply with one another and to teach those skill sets in empathy in a new way, since as you said, in a lot of ways you can't teach empathy, uh, but really figuring out methodologies that, that will work for large populations of people. So I cannot thank you enough for joining us. I'm wondering if you could share with our listeners where they could find out more information about you and your work. Yes. So if you go to www.empathy.rocks, that is where we have our free empathy training games. We're actually about to release a new empathy app with a, another company called Maslow AI in the next month or two. And we'll announce that uh, there and on our Twitter, which is at empathy underscore rocks. The Grammarly for Empathy product and uh, engine to humanize AI and you know uh, integrate with SaaS platforms is at empathic.ai with an M, so empathic.ai. Uh, um, so two different websites, two different aims there, um, but they're connected with each other in the same mission. And 
yeah, I, I would love to have anyone that is interested in this space um, or helping us come join, uh, take a look at what we're doing. Uh, and then there's also therapists in tech for any therapists listening, which is therapistsintech.com. So that one's not hard. <laughs> uh, we have, you know, it's totally free, uh, collaborative, distributed network community that where folks are just helping each other out in, in this space to learn new information. Um, so all of those things come uh, take a look. Perfect. Well, I'll make sure to include the links to those various websites in our show notes. So our listeners out there, I highly recommend checking them out. Grin, I have one last question for you before we part ways. And that's, uh, how do you believe we as a society can better relate to one another? Oh, I feel like that is a huge question. But I do think listening is important. My mission in life is to help people listen and to teach people the skills to begin those conversations around listening to each other. I could talk about what it means to relate to others for a long time, but, but that's, I think, what I'll, I'll end with is just <laughs> learn how to listen, open your mind to other people, um, and, and learn those basic skills to ask open-ended questions, repeat back what you hear, uh, start there, and I think that can get you a long way. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Relate. You can let me know your thoughts on this episode by going to Apple Podcasts and leaving me a review. Or if you have the Anchor app, feel free to call in and leave a voicemail. I would love to hear from you. You can support this podcast by clicking the link in the show notes. Thank you so much again for tuning in, and I'll catch you all in the next episode.